How many got your Bible tonight? Go and open up your Bible to the book of Joshua. Book of Joshua, it's in the Old Testament. How many know that the Old Testament actually uh, will reveal to you so much about Jesus? Sometimes more than the New Testament will. So that's blasphemy. Mm-mm. See, because the whole Old Testament, I said this last week, but the whole Old Testament points to who Jesus Christ is. The whole Old Testament. And so when we read the New Testament, it's just revelation of what the Old Testament was written for thousands of years. The New Testament was written in less than 100 years. But the Old Testament was written over a span of like 4,000 years of men who came together to write the Word of God. And then the New Testament was written to bring revelation and illumination of what was written for thousands of years. Joshua chapter 18 Verses 1 through 4. Well, before we do that, I know usually I, uh, I have a story for you, and I don't have one tonight. But instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out of that guy. Okay, seriously. Some of you get, I'm not going to do it unless you get really excited. Because <laughs> I know you love that guy. I have, a that, I have a, some of that guys tonight, and I have a that girl. <clears throat> we don't want to be that guy. You know what, I just want to highlight it real quick. I want to highlight some of that guys. That guy that parks over two parking spaces. <laughs> the, the, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Uh, that guy that invites himself to a party. Look, look, if you're invited, come. But don't be that guy that invites himself and then invites other people as well. That's, that's just crazy. Because we ordered just enough food for those who we invited. Now look, look. I'm just trying to help you out. Okay. How about that guy that ditches his friends for his girlfriend? Don't be that guy. And don't be that girl that ditches her friends for her boyfriend. Just, just on the spiritual side, don't be that guy that when you're praying for people, you put all your weight on their, on their shoulder. Don't, don't do that. Look, we're trying to lift burdens off of them, and we've got eight people putting all their weight on top of them. Gosh. Trying to help some people out tonight. I'll do a couple more. We got so many here. Um, <laughs> my favorite one, because I was that guy one time, while shopping, mistakes a girl's T-shirt for a guy's. I'm giving some new ones. Let's give him some highlights. Okay, here we go. Want a new one? Okay, here we go. That guy, oh, man. <laughs> Cameron, this is going to get you, bro. <laughs> I love you, bro, but I've been that guy, too. That guy... <laughs> That, e- that eats at McDonald's, but doesn't tell anyone out of shame. Oh, there's so many of that, guys, in this youth ministry. Because when I first became the youth pastor, I started preaching against McDonald's for so long. Because some of you defiled yourself. And I'm trying to help you out purify yourself. Okay, this is Je- Jesse Meeser said this one. That eats at McDonald's, but destroys the evidence. Destroy the evidence, you know. You're coming into church, you're sitting there eating all your food, and somebody comes by, and you throw it under your coat, and you hide it. Your mouth is full of french fries, salt, and ketchup. Don't be that guy. Okay, hey, and then I'll give you one more of that girl, and then we'll, and then we'll, go, we'll get moving. That girl. This one came in today from a friend of mine, Ray Ray, Sheree. She says, don't be that girl that posts all of her life drama on Facebook. All right, somebody's in trouble. I'm just kidding. All right, you there? Joshua 18, 
tonight, I think it's David Cochran. Is it your birthday today? Chakran, Chakran, hey, let's get up for David. How old are you today? Huh? 20. David's 20. Come on, get up for David. Happy birthday, David, to you. Okay, let's get going because we don't got much time. We have another birthday. Whose birthday? Wade, where's Wade at? Wade ain't here. Well, it's Wade's birthday too. Happy birthday, Wade. All right. So what I want to do is, is we're, we're finding ourselves here in the book of uh, Joshua chapter 18. But I want, to, I want to shed some light on the context here. Because if I don't shed light on the context of what's happening here, uh, we're just going to get lost. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start in Genesis. And I'm going to work our way all the way through uh, to where we are right now. I call it Eden to Potlucks. Eden to Potlucks. So we start out, God creates earth, right? And, 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 and in that place, he also creates and, and forms and, 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 and toils up himself a garden. And then from the garden, he takes from the soil of the ground, he makes man, right? And then from man, he pulls out and makes a woman. Because he knew that he couldn't be by himself. Uh. And what started happening was God started spending time with these two people that he had created. The Garden of Eden, Eden literally means pleasure. It's a garden of pleasure. It's a garden of enjoyment. From the beginning, God desired to have pleasure, to have fun with us, to enjoy with us, that we would enjoy life together and that we would enjoy life with him. And so God makes this garden, and he puts in this garden some trees, some fruits, some bushes. And one of the trees he put was the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat from that tree, but you can eat from the tree of life. Well, they ate from the tree of good and evil. And because of that, God said, look, because you ate from that, you're going to die. Because I told you that you would die. And so if you, i, I got to kick you out because if you ever eat from the tree of life, then you will live forever in your sin. You live forever in your death. So I must kick you out so that you die that will give you hope for eternal life with me. So he kicks them out for their protection. He kicks them out for their good. You with me? So Adam and Eve are out, and they start having babies, because that's what you do. And all the way it comes down to Genesis 12, baby after baby after baby after baby, lots of babies. And Genesis 12 comes around, and God calls this man named Abram. And Abram uh, was, was, was in the land of Ur. I wish I was from the land of Ur. And God called Abram to leave the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, and to go to a land that I will show you. So they, God takes them from a land, sends them out of the garden, and he says, hey, go, go do your thing. He calls, he calls Abraham, and he says, hey, I'm going to take you to a place. I'm going to bring you to a land. Say land. Come on, say land. So God's going to show us a land. We were taken out of a land called the Garden of Eden. And then God desired so much so that we would come back into that intimate, pleasurable place with God. So he calls somebody who he would take to a land. And in that land, his intent is that we would have pleasure again with God. You with me? So Abraham has some, some kids. Uh, one of his kids, his second kid, which was the kid of the child of promise, the son of promise. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac, right? Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had anybody? Isaac had Esau and Jacob. Jacob, in Genesis 32, wrestles with God. 
He prevailed in his wrestling with God, so God gave him the name Israel. For all of you who grew up in church, you already know all this stuff, bear with me. I'm just trying to set context so nobody's left behind. Israel, who is Jacob, has how many kids? He had 12 sons, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. Anybody following me tonight? My goodness, help me out. So the 12 tribes, the 12 sons, the 12 sons of Israel. One of them uh, was like the most favored. I think he was like the 11th son. And uh, he wasn't necessarily the most favored, but he was definitely called to a great call. He went down to Egypt and he became, through a long process, you can read the story in Genesis, through a long process he becomes like Egypt's Pharaoh's right-hand guy, helping him out with things and making big decisions. Well, then he ends up bringing his all brothers and, and, and his whole family, and they're kind of out on the outskirts of Egypt, and Joseph ends up dying there. Well, the rest of the children of Israel, the rest of the 11 of them, stayed in that place. And the children of Joseph stayed in that place as well. Well, time, now we're coming into Exodus. Exodus chapter 1 tells us about what happened um, after that. What happens is the children of Israel began to multiply. They started having lots of babies. And when you start having lots of babies, you grow. You grow in numbers. And, and the more numbers you have, the more people begin to go, man, these guys, if they get too big, they're going to overcome us. They're going to overpower us. So Pharaoh says, hey, we need, to, we need to put a yoke on these people. Like they're having too many babies, and if we don't stop them right now, they're going to overtake us one day and send us out of this land. So what they do is they go put them into slavery when they were just little. Well, the Bible says that they just kept having babies anyway. Baby after baby after baby, and it kept growing. Well, the Bible shows us and tells us that for 400 years, they were in bondage in this land called Egypt. Then we got Moses. Moses was born, and uh, he was a, 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 one of the children of Israel as well. He was born. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh, and he once again became this powerful man, but then he made a bad decision, killed somebody, so he ran out of fear, and he went into the wilderness for 40 years. God met him in a burning bush, called him to go back to Egypt and to call God's people who were in bondage. Uh, probably, uh, scholars believe, one to three million Israelites who had been in now, after 400 years, had multiplied, and they were all in bondage under this man named Pharaoh. Moses goes, 10 plagues happen, crazy stuff. They get, you following me? You following me? I'm almost there. They get taken out. Praise God. They get taken out, and they're standing before the Red Sea. People are freaking out. God says, hey, Moses, stick out your staff. Put it in the water. Boom, waters open up. They walk across on dry ground. About two million Israelites walk on dry ground. Well, Pharaoh sends his army behind them. They start coming behind them, and God closes the water, closes the sea on top of them, and destroys the, ar the army of Pharaoh. They come onto the wilderness. And then they wander for a long time, made some bad decisions. They experienced some pretty crazy things, some manifestation of God's glory. God showed them up in crazy ways. Uh, uh, bread fell from heaven. Quails came from all over the place, eating chicken like crazy. Water came gushing forth from the rock and, and, and quenched the thirst of, once again, two to three million Israelites when they hit a rock, lots of water came out. A lot of things are happening. God's moving, but at the same time, the people are moving in sin as well and doing rebellious things. And God is just going, man, what in the world? Well, make some bad decisions. Joshua and Caleb, 
or two guys who were sons of or descendants from the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joshua and Caleb are sent from among 12 other, or sorry, 10 other guys who went into this promised land that God promised Abraham back in Genesis 12 and promised it to him again and again and again throughout the book of Genesis. And he sends them in for them to observe the land that God was giving them. Land, say land. So God, God sends them in, they go in, and 10 come back saying, that place is like flowing with milk and honey. And everybody goes, what's milk and honey? Well, milk simply represents the cattle in the land, and honey represents the fruit of the land. So there's lots of, lots of meat, and there's lots of fruit. You with me? So in other words, it's a rich land. It's, it's even more rich than the Garden of Eden. God was wanting to bless his people. So Joshua and Caleb come back and go, well, I don't know about you guys, but we're going to take that land. Because God said it's our land. Joshua and Caleb believe. The other ten didn't believe. So the other ten died. Moses died. That generation died. But all the children who hadn't yet had a chance to really make a decision grew up. Joshua and Caleb were some old men, but they could still fight. Say amen. And they led, Joshua primarily, leads the children of Israel who were in the wilderness for years and years. I think 80 years. Wasn't it 80 years? 40 years twice? I think so. Well, I know it was at least 40 years. They come to the Jordan River, which splits down right next. We have Israel, present-day Israel, still there because God's good. And he's going to protect his people still to this day. And they cross over the Jordan, and they start taking down giants. They start taking down armies and destroying people like crazy. We're at the part of the story now where so far the 12 tribes of Israel or the children from the 12 tribes, we're we're counting now hundreds of thousands of people now who represent these 12 different tribes that God called that would possess the land one day. So there's 12 different places or 13 different places that break up and break down the promised land that God promised them. And so God takes each tribe and he gives them an allotment, an inheritance in that land. Say land. Land. And so they come to the land And Joshua, who's the commander of the army and the leader of this army, tells them, hey, go get your land. So, so far in this story at chapter 18, so far five tribes have already got their land. Two and a half went somewhere and the other two and a half, Manasseh split in half. We don't have time to get into why they did that. But Manasseh split in half and the other tribes got together. Five of them started taking their land. Eating the milk, drinking the milk, eating the honey. But there are still inhabitants in the land. Say inhabitants. Because when you go into somebody's land, there's still people there. And God said, this is your land. Drive them out. Well, they didn't necessarily do that. Say, uh-oh. They left inhabitants in there. They actually put them to work. They, they put them to slavery like they were in slavery. But one of the things that happened was that in chapter 17, you can read it if you get, when you get home sometime. But I'm just, just trying to lay down some historical context so we understand what's happening here. What happens in chapter 17 is that the tribes began to complain that their place wasn't big enough, their allotment wasn't big enough, and that there is too big of inhabitants. And they were kind of scared of these inhabitants that were in the land. They were kind of scared of the giants that were up in the hills. And they're like, there's so many trees up there and they're scattered in there, it's going to be too hard to, 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 to take them out. And Joshua says, look, stop being babies. Go up in that place, cut down the trees if you have to, and drive them out of the land. Joshua leaves. 
And then we pick up here in in Joshua chapter 18. So far, how many tribes have their land? Five. How many are left? My goodness, we got to go back to school. Seven. Seven tribes left. And five have their land. Seven tribes are with Joshua at this point in time. The other five are eating the fruit of their land. We got to understand something. What started happening was God had intended, what God intended was that they would not just go into the land, but they'd begin to eat the fruit of the land and eat the animals, and that they would not only eat them, but they would have big potlucks, say potlucks. And what they would do is they would come together, and each of them would take, they would take the fruit from their land, say their land, okay, they'd take the fruit from their land, and they would come together at the temple at the tabernacle and they would offer the fruit of their land together so they'd eat together the fruit and the animals that they killed and and took and they'd offer these fruit and animals up to the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord so they'd eat and they bless God make sense they'd eat each other's fruit and they bless God with their fruit you with me so far five had already begun this process They don't ever call it potlucks in the Bible. They call it feasts, but I'm going to call it a potluck. There were lots of feasts where the children of Israel would come together to worship God and eat foods together, and they called it feasts, but we're going to call it potlucks because it's pretty much the same idea. You with me? You with me so far? Make sense? So they're finally there. God promised Abraham, and now they're at the promised land. They arrived. But seven of them were still waiting for their promised land, for what God promised them as individuals and as a tribe. Verse 1, now the whole congregation of children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Shiloh was like a little uh, town. between. It was in a valley in the middle of Israel. And they set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. In other words, they had the land. It was theirs. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? You hear that? How long will you neglect? Say neglect. How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. In essence, what Joshua is saying is, how long will you wait to possess your land? And then he says, pick out from among you three men from each tribe, and I will send them, they, will, they shall arise and go through the land and survey it, say survey, according to their inheritance and come back to me. How long will you neglect To go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. Go ahead and flip over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is uh, one book before. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 8. This is before they got to the land of Israel. Moses is writing a bunch of stuff down for them to do. 
when they got there and trying to understand what it would be like. Bear with me now. I know that there's a lot of stuff. I just don't want anybody left behind as we, as we delve into God's word tonight. Okay, verse 8 says, Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. It's not like the land of Egypt. It's a different land, right? For which you have come, where you have sowed your seed and, t- and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, what I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in our, your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain in the land, yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Verse 18, key verse tonight. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, say heart, and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Crazy. A lot of land talk, huh? Uh, my message tonight is the, the neglected land. The neglected land. If you're taking notes, take notes. If you're not, write on your heart. Let's pray. Let's surrender to the Lord tonight. Ask him to speak to us, to encourage us, to open up our eyes and our ears. Amen. Let's do that. Father, tonight we thank you for your mercies. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you so much that you love us unconditionally. God, we thank you that your eye is upon us. God, we thank you that your heart is toward us. God, we thank you that, that, they, that your reins are raining upon us, Lord, from heaven even right now. Lord, you're raining upon every heart. You're raining upon every mind. You're raining upon every soul. Father, I thank you so much, God, for the work that you are doing. Lord, we are in the season. We are in the generation of Joshua where you are causing your people to possess their land, to take their land. And Father, I'm asking you to help us as a people, if we have neglected our land, to realize it and to surrender and to take and possess the land that you have rightfully given us. God, help us. Help us tonight. Open our eyes tonight. We want to have a potluck. Jesus' name. You know what's so crazy is that you read the Old Testament, and from Genesis to Malachi, there's a lot of land talk. And and then you flip over the page to Matthew, and you read Matthew, and you go, there's a lot of heart talk. And so it's almost as if these two books, if you will, are almost like they're against each other. And it would seem that way if you didn't have understanding. In the Old Testament, the Bible over and over and over again speaks of land, as I just got done saying. 
Hey, I'm going to give you a land. You're going to possess this land. You're going to stay in this land. You're going to drive the inhabitants out of this land. In this land, it's going to rain. In this land, it's going to be fruit. In this land, it's going to be animals. In this land, you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to take the fruit of that land. You're all going to come together. You're going to offer sacrifices to me, and you're going to eat food. You're going to enjoy the fruit of the land. I'm giving you the land. You didn't work for the land. I worked for the land. I made it rain on the land. I made the soil good in that land. This is, this is my land that I'm giving to you to possess, to enjoy life with each other, and to enjoy life with me. It's a lot of land talk. And then, and then you flip the page. There's a lot of heart talk. It's not very much land talk. The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve make a decision in the garden to eat from the tree that God said don't eat from. And they went and hid. And it's almost as if, if you read between the lines, that God stepped back for a second and said, wait a minute. Not that he was shocked or blown away, but it's as if he goes, this won't work. This, this, this whole external thing just won't work. This, this, this whole idea of, 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 of leading them by the hand and of, of trying to get them to love me and trying to get them to love one another, it's not going to work. I, I, got, I got to do something else. I, if it did work, it would have been amazing, but it's not going to work. So, so one day, they'll, they'll be with me for eternity and we'll, we'll stand uh, next to each other and with each other, and they'll be at my feet, and I'll be with them. But until then, there's, I, have to, I, have to, I have to create another plan because they just don't want to. Because the truth is that I really want them to, but, the, but the, the crazy part is that their heart does ultimately what it wants to do, and it doesn't want to. It doesn't want to love me. It doesn't want to love each other. So then we flip over to, to the book of Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah gets a revelation. He gets, he gets a, a, a word from the Lord. He kind, of, he kind of got caught up in heaven, if you will, and he says this in, in, in 31, 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and the sin I will remember no more. And he flip into the book of Matthew Jesus begins to talk about, in Matthew chapter 13, the land is our heart. Now, I must preface this before I get too much into this. This simple revelation that land in the Old Testament represents our hearts in the New Testament was from my brother, Mike McSwain. He sowed a seed in my heart regarding this, and it's just completely transformed my thinking when I look at the Old Testament. So every time you see land in the Old Testament, it simply means a heart. It was a parallel. When you read Genesis and you look how God created the earth, it's the same way he relates to our hearts. So God, Jesus says in Matthew 13, 
about the parable of the sower. How many know the parable of the sower? You sow seeds. The soil represents what? Represents our heart. So when you sit back and you look at this, you go, wait a minute. So, so Jesus comes. He's a fulfillment of the Old Testament, and everything points to him. He is the, the prophet. He is God in the flesh. He knows what he's talking about. He's not going to leave things uncovered. And he comes and says, land is your heart. You with me? Land is your heart. So when you hear this talk about God giving them a new land, what God is saying prophetically in the Old Testament is, is that your old land won't work, so I must give you a new land. Your old heart won't work, so I have to put a new heart in you. Did, did you, do you remember when we read Deuteronomy 11? It says, the land that I'm going to give you is not like the land of Egypt that you worked really hard with your feet to make it work, but the land that I will give you will be a land that is already ripe. There's good soil, and it's raining, and my eyes are upon the land every day of the year, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. You with me? The land of Egypt didn't work because the land of Egypt represents sin, and that's our hearts. We were born into sin naturally. He says, that won't work. I must take you from the land of Egypt and bring you to a new land, a land that you didn't work for. And as it says in Jeremiah, I will give you a new heart. Sorry, Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. I will take the stone of your heart and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. Because the stoned heart didn't work. So I must give you a new heart where you actually desire to love me and you desire to want me and you desire to love each other and you desire to praise me. I have to give you a new heart because the last one didn't work. And then Jesus starts talking crazy stuff. John chapter 14. He says, oh, by the way, I'm going to come make my home in your heart. You know, back, back in Genesis 2, my home was in the garden. But see, that didn't work because I was still leading them by the hand. That didn't work. I have to come inside your heart. I have to make my home in your heart. I have to lay my head in your heart. Because if I don't do there, I'll never get you. I have to come from within you and give you a desire. I have to come from within you and give you an ability where you will desire to want me, where you will desire to worship me, where you will desire to get up and read my word and study my word, where you will desire to sing, sing hymns and sing praise songs to me as you're driving down the road just because you want to. So when we look at this story, Joshua, we have to see the symbolism here the symbolism is, is, is just, it's just crazy. Say crazy. It's crazy. It's all over the place. I mean, it's just crazy. They're in the land of Egypt, the land of sin. God says they need to be taken from there. Moses, go deliver them. Moses is a type of Christ. Moses is a symbol of Jesus Christ. He comes in. He takes the people. He brings them through the water, which is the water of baptism. Gary, why do get baptized? Because they got baptized a long time ago. It's so what God set it up. 
what was happening was when God pulled them from Egypt into the wilderness, there was this there was this thing where the waters were over them, but they made it through the waters. They died to their old life, and their new life began. And then they cross over into Jericho, where they come under new waters, which would be the waters in the river of the Holy Spirit that floods them. And then they step into their promised land. But the crazy thing is in the promised land, there's still inhabitants in the land. So you got to do battle. Just like when you get saved, you still got things going on in your heart, and you got to repent, and you got to forgive, and you got to work through stuff that's going on in your heart. The Bible says here in Joshua 18 that the land had been subdued. They had done so much work. They had done so much warfare. They had destroyed so many enemies. And then Joshua says, okay, now it's your turn. Go possess your land. You following, you following me? See, because see, <clears throat> there's not just one big heart. Each of you has a heart that God sets inside of you. Each of you has a heart that Jesus comes and lays his head in. Each of you has a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Get what the heck does that mean? I'm talking about a land that is rich, a land that is prosperous, a land of songs that are on your hearts that you will sing to the Lord. A land where you will write books. A land that from your heart you will teach the people and the children of God. A land where you will build the people of God. That from your heart, from the fruit of the ground that God put inside of you, you didn't work for it. It's just the way it was. You didn't choose your personality. You didn't choose the gifts and the graces. It was chosen to you. All you need to do is step into it. You know the crazy thing about potlucks? Yeah, I love turkey. Just say turkey. It's a weird word, but it tastes good. Now, if we were all to sit down, and we, we cooked up a turkey, 64-pound turkey, it's a fat turkey. <laughs> chainsaw. <laughs> oh, shoot. You got a chainsaw on both sides. <laughs> Trying to cut up this turkey. But if we just had a turkey here, we all sat down, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving, would it? Now, if we all sat down, we started eating a turkey, you wouldn't naturally think, man, this is Thanksgiving. You just think we're eating turkey. But now if you sat down and sister brought some spaghetti and turkey, you'd be like, what the heck is this girl doing? But if she brought gravy, you'd be like, okay. Okay, I see where you're going with this. And then she brought stuffing. Okay. Oh, Cranberry sauce. That just tops it off. It's got to be Thanksgiving. Nobody eats cranberry sauce unless it's Thanksgiving. Biscuits. Mm. Now we're really talking. Because you need to be able to dip that biscuit in some of that gravy. I'm getting hungry just talking about this. And then a girl walks in with like six pumpkin pies. She's like, yeah. And then those of you who don't like pumpkin pie, apple pie walks in, you're like, yeah. And then cherry pie. And uh, Briars. Briars ice cream comes, comes in. You're just like, man, this is, this is for real. Sparkling cider. Now you sit down and you go, this is Thanksgiving. 
You know how the church has functioned for so long? The church has functioned where they just bring a turkey and they say, okay, let's eat the turkey. Ever since I was like, turkey? That's it? It ain't November. No, it is November. We're eating turkey. Yeah, but for real though, but Thanksgiving, you got to have everything. No, 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 we're just doing turkey. It's the way things should be. It's, it's the primary. Bro, I don't want turkey without gravy, bro. Gary, what the heck are you talking about? I don't even know. No, I do. Jesus cannot be fully expressed with just a couple gifts. And see, people come from all over the world to churches. They come from this place. They hear about church and they show up and they see a preaching and a worship service. They're like, what? Jesus? They say Jesus. But one day, I'm telling you, turkey's going to be there. Gravy's going to be there. Mashed potatoes are going to be there. Cranberry sauce is going to be there. Biscuits are going to be there. What else? What am I missing? Stuffing's going to be there. Corn's going to be there. Pumpkin pie is going to be there. Because I'm telling a day is coming when every person will begin to walk in the great gifts and the graces that God has called them to. And we will begin to function as a church that God has destined us to. So that when the unbeliever walks in like, dang, Jesus, for real. The problem is, though, the church for so many years had just brought turkey. And then, man, you have turkey after so many times. Like, man, turkey's stupid. Give me some biscuits. We got so stuck on turkey, we put it in the refrigerator, and then we ate it for midnight. Pull out the turkey with some mustard and some biscuits. (laughs) You say whipped cream? Man, that's sick. See, we get desperate for real. See, but when you look at these five tribes who had already possessed their land, if they tried having a potluck, they couldn't fully express all the land that God gave them. There were still seven tribes that needed to get their land and get their fruit. Think about this way. They'd have these things. They'd have these feasts. They'd have these potlucks. They'd come together, and that person had to bring the pomegranates, and that person had to bring the almonds, and that dude had to bring the lamb. But if, but if that guy didn't come with the pomegranates, and if that guy didn't come with the almond, if that guy didn't come with the lamb, then they couldn't have the feast that they were trying to have to worship God and to bless one another. So when there's only five of them that showed up with their stuff, they're like, what the heck are we going to do with this? Let's go back home. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? That's why Joshua turned out and say, how long are you going to neglect your land? And you know what the crazy thing is? He said that when they were by the temple. He started realizing, this temple's empty. This tabernacle's empty. We need to do some parties up in here. We need to have some potlucks. Go to your stinking land, get the fruit, because we're going to have a potluck up in here. How long are you going to neglect your land? You hear what I'm saying? That's my question to you tonight. Do you have a neglected land? Gabriel, okay, I see what I'm called to do. Yeah, but have you possessed it? Have you stepped into it? 
man, I can see the mountains from here. Man, I know God's calling me to lead that worship team. I know God's calling me to lead that small group. I know that God's calling me to go to that school. But yeah, but have you possessed the land? Man, I see God's calling me to write songs. I see God's calling me to even write books one day. And, and man, I see that God's calling me to, to share the gospel with my family because I know that he's given me a word for them. But, I, but, but have you possessed your land? Show up the church. Church is boring. Yeah, maybe because you haven't brought your, your goods to the potluck. Church will be a lot less boring when we all show up with our goods and say, hey, here you go, brother, sister. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Man, you know, earlier tonight, tonight, pre-service prayer was so good because people started just a little bit, started going, oh, I have a song I haven't sung before. Maybe I'll sing this song. Yeah, sing that song. Mm, that tastes good. That's, that's some good pomegranate right there. And then I go, hey, hey, I got some watermelon. Bring the watermelon out. I love me with some watermelon. I'm thirsty. My dry ground is dry. How long will you neglect your land? Is your land neglected? You know, the crazy thing is, is that, yeah, think about the seven tribes. They could hear parties happening in the distance because they were there for a long time. They hadn't got their land for a long time. They could hear parties from the other tribes, getting their fruit, fruit screaming, yelling. This, this, they've been waiting for hundreds of years for their land. They're in parties in the distances. And some of you come to church like, man, that person's worship and they're so excited. And, and that person always gives a word. And, man, and the way that she leads worship is so crazy. I, I know I could do that one day. And, oh, but, but, you know, when I come to these meetings, I see pictures and I see dreams. And I, I, I just know I could paint a picture and, 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 and help the body understand another way. Or I could sing a song. Or I could, I could get this, give this word because I know if this word, if I give this word, it'll bless the people. And you show up and you see everybody else in their land. But you're still sitting back in, I don't know what you're sitting back in. You're just, you're just complacent, lazy. Why do we neglect our land? I'm about to tell you. Let's translation for a minute. Why do we neglect our heart? Because if this all represents land. And if God's, listen to me, if God's placed gifts in your heart, if God is raining on your heart, I don't care if you feel it, God is raining on his people's heart. It's happening right now. God is raining on the people of God. He's raining on his children right now. Think about them seven tribes. They were sitting back, but they just weren't receiving what the rain was. They were watching it hit the land, but they weren't actually possessing the land that was being hit with the rain. You with me? It's hitting your land, but you just haven't possessed your land. Okay, but I don't even know how to possess it. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. But you got to think about this. When you think of land, it's heart. So think about the gifts and the callings and the graces on your heart, but even more, the land, more than anything, young people hear me, more than anything, it's about two things. It's about your, you in your heart having an intimate relationship with God and you in your heart having an intimate relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And anybody else that comes around the land, you grab them, bring them in, and say, hey, come eat the fruit of the land. We serve a good God. Hey, stay for a little bit because it's about the rain. Oh, and by the way, I got land for you too. We got room. God's got a land for you. Well, what was the fruit for? What were the cattle for? It was to bless God. And it was to bless each other. I'm telling you, you got so much on your heart. You got such a calling on your heart. But you've learned to neglect your heart. 
You've been taught and you've been trained by your parents, maybe, by your teachers, maybe, by the devil, maybe, by yourself, maybe, to not listen to your heart, to neglect your heart. Gabriel, what's your heart? I'm talking about your feelings. I'm talking about your emotions. I'm talking about your hurts. I'm talking about your wounds. I'm talking about pain that you feel in your heart. And that pain is driving you to a place of intimacy with God and intimacy with one another, but you're ignoring that pain. Seven tribes of Israel. Scholars believe the reason why they didn't go was because in chapter 17, Ephraim and Manasseh began to complain about their land. And they said that their land was too small. Their land wasn't good enough. Their land had inhabitants in the land. And so these seven tribes are sitting there going, well, I'm too, I don't know if I want to go to my land because I don't know if I want to face what's really happening in my land. I don't know if I want to go to my land because what if there's inhabitants in my land? i got to fight a battle in my land. What if I go to my land and it's too small in my land? What if I go to my land and nobody likes my land? I don't know if I want to go to my land. This is the cry of a generation's heart. Well, we have these dreams, we have these aspirations, we have these desires, but we don't know if we want to possess the land because we don't know if somebody's not going to like the land, if we're not going to like the land, or how hard it's going to be to confess my sin because you know what it really means to divide out, to, 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 to drive out the inhabitants? There's people that shouldn't be there. There's things in your heart that you need to drive out by confessing your sin, by forgiving somebody, by repenting of something. But the other part of the land is that the land also has dry places. It has needs. It has desires. It had yearnings. And so they didn't know if they wanted to see and go, man, my land's really dry. It's okay if your land's dry because God just needs somebody to stand in the land and call on God for rain, and it'll rain on that land. Yeah, bro, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty too. You know, the crazy part is every single one of you in here has so many emotions and so many desires and so many longings and so many cravings and so many hurts and so many pains. But you've learned to, to neglect your land because you don't want to face what's really happening. And when you neglect your land, you forsake all that God has called you to, which is ultimately loving God and loving each other. Oh, and there's such a call in your life. There's such amazing fruit in your life. But you've neglected your land out of fear. And that, that girl one time, she said that she, she, she physically abused herself because she... I don't know if I could say it to everybody because I, I deal with the same thing. And, and, I, and I see that girl, she's starting to possess her land. And if, that, if that's what it means to possess my land, I don't know if I can say that to everybody. I don't know if I can tell people my hurts and my wounds. Well, you're not the only one that has hurts and wounds. We all got hurts and wounds. And those hurts and wounds are driving us to be intimate with each other. You know, we've been trained to ignore our hearts. We've been trained to ignore our feelings. We've been trained that when pain comes, we run away. We say pain is bad. You know, if you can't, if I, if I had, if I had uh, Bryce Shepherd come up here, don't don't come up here. But if I did, and I had a knife, and I went, <laughs> and I cut his arm, he would feel pain. Right? Now, the feeling of pain doesn't feel good, does it? But the feeling itself is good. Why? Because it drives us and causes us to get to a place of healing. Right? And so the same with our hearts. When you feel pain, your heart is saying, I need healing. 
but, but we don't want to face that. So we just guard our hearts. And life happens. We go, well, you know, that divorce didn't really do anything to me. Well, I never knew, really knew my parents. That didn't really hurt me. You know, life, life just happens. That person had to happen to him too. You know, when my mom said that to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, pff, what, what? What am I going to do? Tell her about it or something? When my best friend said that about me, well, yeah, sure, it hurt. But, I mean, what, what, what? Am I going to tell him that it hurt? That's stupid. You don't tell people it hurts. You don't do that. That's a lie. You're neglecting your land. And until you step into that place of vulnerability where you say, hey, my land hurts. I'm hurting. I don't feel good. I'm thirsty. I'm desperate. I feel lonely. When I'm alone, I just want to be with somebody. Anybody ever feel lonely? Come on, I know, there's, I know every single person here feels lonely. I feel lonely all the time. I'm lonely. But you know what? I do something with my loneliness, and that's the difference between some of us in here. I spend time with people, and I tell them, I'm lonely. And they go, me too. <laughs> and then I go to God, and I go, God, I'm, I'm lonely. Yeah, I know. God, I'm thirsty. I know. God, I'm desperate. I know. I put those feelings in you so that you would yearn for me. <laughs> your land is rich. When this generation begins to possess their land, this world is going to get turned upside down. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You know what the problem with Adam and Eve was? It's not that they had shame and fear. It's what they did with their shame and fear that was their problem. Instead of hiding and running, they should have ran to the Father and waited until he came into the garden. Hey, God, I'm really afraid that you're going to hurt me and you're going to come against me. And, and I have a lot of shame that you're not going to love me anymore. And I really want to go hide behind those bushes and put them fig trees on me. But I'm just going to stand right here anyway and feel really, really stupid. And God would say, it's okay. Come here, lamb. <laughs> Rip off the skin and clothe you. And it would have been cool. You hear what I'm saying? That's the problem with the world today. The Lamb of God has already been slain, but they're hiding behind bushes still. And all God says is, hey, come to me with your shame. Come to me with your guilt. Come to me with your condemned heart, and I'll bring healing. And I'll restore you. Man, I've been reading lately, and I wish I could go to every scripture in the whole Testament, scripture after scripture after scripture, where God's like, get it, get it, get it. I, I, I just, I just want to bless your land. No, 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 no. I've blessed your land. I have caused your land to be fruitful, and it's multiplying, and it's raining on the land. It's, I, my eye is on your land every day, all day. I live in your land. Jesus says, I've made my heart my home. I've laid my head in your land. It's my land. I've made a little garden in there. And I've locked it in so that nobody can come in but me. And I'm going to till up the soil. I'm going to do work in your land. And God's doing it right now. But you've learned to say, no, 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 I don't want to cry. Cry. I no, no, I don't, I don't want to tell people. Tell people. Because until you do, you'll stand outside and go, man, I wish I could. You could. 
to sum it up, you discover your land through vulnerability. You know what's crazy? Joshua told them to take three men from each tribe and go and survey the land. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to survey our land. We're going to survey our heart. And we're going to see what's in there. Because we've been taught our whole life to not look at it. We've been taught our whole life to ignore it. And I'm telling you, tonight you're going to get dreams. You're going to get visions. You're going to be healed. You're going to be restored. You're going to cry. You're going to laugh. You're going to jump. You're going to dance. You're going to shout. Because you're going to begin to survey your land. But you've got to be willing to face the dry places. You've got to be willing to face those inhabitants. The worship team make their way up here. I was... I was, uh, <laughs> I was driving tonight. I was going to go pick up my friend David, David Bloom here. Amazing man of God, called of the Lord, awesome testimony. I was on the way there, and I just was thinking about my heart, you know, and I was going, man, I, I'm not, I don't really know how to do this very well. I don't, Lord, what do I do? What do I do with my heart, God? I, I don't, I mean, I feel lonely. I, I feel, I, 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 I mean, if I really face my heart, I'm always desperate. I'm always needy. I'm always hungry. Well, Gabriel, you're just weak sauce. No, you just don't know your heart because your heart's the same. But I'm learning right now after seven years of being a Christian to go, wow, I'm actually really thirsty. I'm really desperate. I'm always desperate. I always want it to rain. I always want to get the fruit and give it to somebody. So I began to just sing a song to the Lord. Lord, I'm thirsty for you. I'm so thirsty. God, when I'm alone, I'm really lonely. And you put that feeling in my heart so that I would come closer to you. So I'm going to come closer to you, Lord. And I'm going to experience the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Pleasure. I'm going to experience having joy, and I'm going to enjoy life with God and with people. You know, church is supposed to be really fun. It's supposed to laugh, dance, cry, shout, scream, twirl. I really appreciate Tim Eby, because he understands that there's a, there's a song in his heart to dance to, and he dances to it. He says, and you know what? You need to learn how to dance before the Lord, because your heart wants to, but you go, whatever. Well, if that's you, it's just because, if that's your prideful heart, and you go, whatever, that's just for weak sauce people. That's just because you're, you're not even in the land yet. You haven't even neglect. You're not even. You haven't even crossed the Jordan yet. You need to repent of your sin and get saved. Let me say this thing before we move on because this is so crucial and it's it's blowing my it's blowing me away. As Christians, we come to this place where we feel like we have to wait for a word or 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 wait for direction or or, or wait for a song to sing. Or, or, or wait for a word to tell somebody. And, and the crazy thing is, is that now that the, the God is in your heart and he's put things in your heart, all you have to do is give him those things that are in your heart and give the people those things that are in your heart. What does that mean? That means stop waiting for a song, sing a song. Stop waiting for a word, give a word. Stop waiting for somebody to look for the pastor. Just find somebody and pastor somebody. Because it's in your heart. Well, Gabriel, I don't know if this song is from the Lord. If it's from your heart, it's from the Lord because he planted that seed in your heart to sing that song to him. So if it's out of love, it's from the Lord. 
Okay, right? I don't even know if this word is, 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 is from the Lord. Well, if it's in your heart and it's if it's out of love, because you know how, that's how you determine if it's in your heart or not. If it's in your, if it's in your heart, then it's got to be out of love toward God or somebody. And if it is, it's from the Lord. I'm not saying that we all come running out here screaming everything. I'm, I'm, I, I am saying that there is, a, there is a, a, an order on how we do that. But what I am saying is that if it's from your heart, sing it. If it's from your heart, say it. If it's from your heart, dance it. If it's from your heart, do it. I'm talking about living a life where we're open to the world. Like David who danced 30 miles before the Lord and at the end he ripped himself naked. Now spiritually, we don't do that in the natural. That's weird. Remember, Old Testament is external, New Testament is internal, right? Old Testament's external, New Testament's internal. So David in the Old Testament, when he did that, it's a picture of you taking the clothes off of your heart and dancing before the Lord. Now, once again, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to physically, manifestively dance. What I am saying is that in your heart, you dance, you twirl, you sing, you cry, you laugh, you shout. Because it's from your heart, and he's given you a new heart. God, show us if we've neglected our land. 